Welcome to the podcast today. I am excited about this podcast. I have been waiting for this for about a month. I'm going to do an interview today. I am meeting with Daryl Harrison, and I emailed him a month or so ago and asked him if he would be willing to do an interview, and he said he would. So he and his lovely wife, Melissa, came here. He is now sitting here in my office. Daryl, how are you today? I'm doing great, Rick. Thank you very much. He is here, and so I'm going to interview him. Daryl is a fellow of the Black Theology and Leadership Institute of Princeton Theological Seminary. He's a graduate of the Theology and Ministry Certificate Program at Princeton Theological. He's also working uh, with Liberty University on his uh, psychology degree with a specialization with Christian counseling. He has a 4.0 GPA. Now, what that means is he is smart, and so we have finally brought some intelligence to this podcast, and you guys are going to enjoy uh, listening to Daryl. I was telling him earlier, I have a special affection for this conversation, and I, I just praise God that we can actually talk about this, where two people from different races, different backgrounds can come together and talk about one of the hottest topics in our culture today, and it has been actually all of our lives. Daryl, how old are you? 55 years old. You're 55. I'm 56. So uh, I'm born in 59. You're born in 60. We came up at the same time. So in that way, we've had cultural, our experiences have been somewhat similar uh, but obviously, we come at it from two different perspectives, and it's rare to be able to talk. Well, anyway, let's just let's just get into it. I have a lot of questions <laughs> for you, <laughs> and uh, I appreciate you uh, being here with the podcast. All right, so uh, uh, tell me your story. Uh, when did uh, God regenerate you? God regenerated me in March of 1986 in Atlanta in an apartment that I was living in on the south side of the city. All right, so that puts you in your mid-20s, right? Puts me at about 26 years old. Um, I was attending First Baptist Church of Atlanta at the time. I was a visitor there, wasn't a member. That was the first time I'd ever attended a predominantly white church. Uh, First Baptist Church of Atlanta, for those of you who may not be familiar, or you may very well be familiar, is where Dr. Charles Stanley is still the senior pastor, uh, even after all these years. And So the Lord converted you while you were at that church? Yes, He did. He did. It was, uh, it was at that church that I was visited by a husband-wife couple who actually played in the orchestra there, and uh, I guess uh, my visitor's card was handed to them. And they came and paid me a visit one night and uh, invited me, as uh, uh, if you will, to uh, to uh, to be saved and uh, to profess my faith in uh, Christ as my Lord and Savior. So we'll get into black, white in a little bit. But so for the sake of categories, black, white church that would be categorized as a white church, right? It would be categorized as a white church, and still today it would probably be categorized as a white church. And so you're a minority, but you're a, a minority in a white church, so you're a, a micro-minority. I mean, there, there's not, there weren't that many. No. Uh, back in 86 when I joined, I ultimately did join First Baptist Atlanta, and back in 86 when I joined, um, I can see the imagery in my head right now, I was probably one of maybe two or three non-white members Out there. of how many? About? Oh, my gosh. It was... It was thousands. Now, why in the world 
what possessed you to do that? Well, uh, the sovereignty of God, uh, as he does in all things, uh, kind of laid out that roadmap for me. At the time, I was uh, attending church at a small missionary Baptist church on the west side of Atlanta, off of Northside Drive, which uh, had been in my father's uh, family, father's side of the family for about three generations. It was uh, Chapel Hill Missionary Baptist Church. And I was attending there essentially because, well, that's where my parents were. Uh, so I, my brother, and my sister attended there as well. Um, but uh, one day, just uh, I will say out of the blue, but obviously it was the sovereignty of God doing this, my mother received a letter from her sister, my Aunt Bernice, who uh, my, my late Aunt Bernice, who wrote my mother a letter. And in that letter, there was some mention about uh, this church downtown in Atlanta, First Baptist Church, that she had been watching regularly up in Syracuse, New York, through the uh, In Touch program, which is what that ministry is referred to. Right. And um, I guess my mom gave me a phone call. I don't know if she called me or passed the letter on to me. Uh, so I don't know if my aunt was inviting my mom to visit that church or if she was just inviting the entire family to go down there. But I was the only member of the family that took my aunt Bernice up on that invitation and uh, visited uh, one cold uh, Sunday in February 1986 and uh, ended up staying down there for 23 years. Did that take a lot of courage to go to a white church? Uh, not really. <clears throat> Why not? Not really. Um, um, for me, it was simply a matter of this is what God wanted me to do. But you weren't a Christian. I was not saved at the time. No. So God's leading in your life was powerful than <clears throat> any racial divides or fear that you had. You just you were compelled to go to this church. Compelled indeed. I, I knew, although I wasn't saved, uh, I was convicted enough to know that coming to church and not learning anything was not a good thing. Uh, and, and even though the church where I was had all my family members there, so I had that tie to that church from a familial standpoint, even then I knew that there was something bigger to going to church. Were you treated differently by any of your closer black friends going to a white church? I can't say that I was treated any differently, but I can say that the decision wasn't looked upon favorably by my immediate family. And the reason would be your what? That because I'm black and that I was betraying, if I wasn't betraying the race uh, of black people, I was betraying the tradition of the family of uh, remaining at that church for another generation and, and sort of extending that longevity there at Chapel Hill. So it was more about a tradition. So in Forrest Gump, Lieutenant Dan said it was his destiny because his daddy died in war, his granddaddy died in war, his great-granddaddy died in war, he had to die. So you were, you, were breaking, you were breaking the line. Yeah, I was breaking the line, and that is a huge, that is a huge uh, step to take for any uh, black Christian, even today. Is to uh, is to break away from that tradition. Tradition is big uh, in the in the black church. All right, so I, I've got a lot of questions that I I want to ask you five specifically, and we'll see if we can get through this. Uh, this podcast, I'm not sure how long we're going to go here, Daryl. If you're game for it, uh, we may have to break this up into uh, different parts, but we'll just we'll just keep going and 
and till we, we get tired. Okay? Absolutely. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk about interracial marriage. I want to talk about the Confederate flag. I want to talk about the Washington Redskins. And then I want to talk about what frustrates you about white people. But here's my first question. Daryl, what are you? Are you a, a Negro? Are you colored? Are you black? Or are you African-American? Why does it matter? Now, Again, we're both in our mid-50s, and so we have experienced all four of these labels. Uh, before you were colored, you were Negro, and then colored became the thing. And then in the 60s, colored was out, and black came in. And then I'm not sure when black went away, but black went away you know, maybe 20 years ago or something. And then African-American came in. What are you? I am none of the above. Is there none of the above section selection? <laughs> I'm sorry. There wasn't an E. There was just an A, B, C. <clears throat> I am none of the above, brother Indeed. Rick. And the reason I say that is uh, I'm a Christian first. Okay, I'm a I'm a Christian first, and being a Christian first, my identity is in my being created in the image of God, the, the Imago Dei. That that is my identity. That is my primary identity as long as I'm in this flesh on this earth. Uh, everything else is secondary to that. All right, so as a white guy, if, if I'm talking about black people or African-American people, those are the two working titles mm-hmm. that we have in our culture mm-hmm. today. Which one am I supposed—I mean, I'd, if I'm going to distinguish an Asian person from a black person or a white person, what, what am I supposed to—I mean, I, I'm not going to say, okay, so this guy who's made in the image of God, when I'm actually su- supposed to identify you more specifically, what am I supposed to say, black or African-American? Well, see, that, that's the catch-22 of that. It depends on who you're, who you're, who you're addressing. Uh, because the, the, the acceptance of either of those labels is so subjective, depending on the individual. Um, so there is no, when you, when you ask, who am I supposed to, which, which term am I, am I supposed to use, it's a no-win situation. There's really no answer to that question, because th- there are some blacks who may be accepting of being referred to as a black American. Then there are others who are dogmatic about being uh, referred to as African American, so it just really depends on on who you're speaking with. Uh, there's really no right answer, no cookie cutter uh, way to answer that question, whereby you can say this applies to all or even most Black people because it just depends on the individual. So, if a person came to me and asked me to describe, can you describe this individual for me? You know, I'll say, well, he's roughly six foot two. His hair was dark, and then if I got to his skin color, I would probably say, I mean, what I would want to say as a white guy, I would want to say that he was a black man right. or a black woman. Mm-hmm. The struggle. Can we talk candid here? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right. So the struggle here for me personally as a white guy, when I use the term African American, it seems like the uh, co-equal to that, if I were describing myself, would be European-American mm-hmm. or wherever the heck I came from, which I'm not exactly sure. But for the sake of argument, I would say a European-American. But that either one of those terms do not ring right to me. Mm-hmm. Both of them, I mean, honestly, both of them sound a little bit divisive. I live in America, and so I, I get the image of God thing, and I, I agree with that. If we are Christians, our first descriptor 
or way of understanding ourselves is that we are humans made in the image of God, and that makes us all the same. Mm -hmm. We're in the body of Christ where there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Mm -hmm. If I want to break out those descriptors, though, I, I would say, I mean, I'm an American, mm -hmm. but when I go into African-American, European-American, or even Native American, for that matter, to me it has a ring of divisiveness. Mm -hmm. uh, where am I wrong in that? Well, you're not wrong. Uh, you're not wrong at all in that. I think what we have in our culture today to whereby we've ascribed such a value to these uh, temporal descriptions um, is that we've taken our eye off of the fact that we are created in the image of God, that that is the primary identifier by which we are to consider uh, in our very existence, as it relates to our very existence. Um, everything else is secondary to that. Now, myself, personally, uh, if I'm referring to uh, someone who, like myself, is black, then I'm going to be inclined to refer to that person as a black person. Um, uh, African-American, the term, just does not come to my mind very quickly at all. Um, I, you know, can't say why that is, but for myself, uh, any descriptor that I'm referring to myself or someone else who happens to be like me, being black, I'm going to refer to that person as a black person. I'm not going to refer to that first person as an African-American person. Um, you know, but regardless of the label, there is a certain uh, divisiveness that is attached to it. There's a cer certain separateness. There's a certain segregationist connotation that is becoming more and more inculcated with either of those terms. So it's becoming so, Rick, that you, you, you know, you, you, you're, you're darn if you do, you're darn if you don't, regardless of which term you use, because the terms have become so much more than just an identifier of one's uh, skin color. There's all sorts of other connotations now that come along with those terms. So where does respect and honor, honoring somebody or respecting somebody come in? For example, we used to refer to the gay culture as sodomites, which personally I think is a little harsh, and I don't use that language at all to describe that individual, and so then it became homosexual. But the homosexual community prefers that we not use that language, that we use gay to describe them. However, part of what has happened with the transition from homosexual to gay, there is an underwriting agenda to change the tone and the connotation that you're talking about, of being gay, of making gay acceptable. And so do we respect and honor them by saying, gay while realizing that there is a worldview shaping agenda underneath that to make homosexuality an acceptable lifestyle. Now, on one hand, I'm okay with using the word gay instead of homosexuality, but I'm not okay with saying that that lifestyle is okay. I'm okay using the word African-American to respect them because that's what they want, but I'm not okay with the divisiveness that's under that that right. connotes right. that you're talking about. So, right. where is become all things to all people? I want to respect you while trying to deconstruct or speak out against the agenda that that name also con uh, connotes. Well, here's the th here's the thing, and I'm going to speak very candidly uh, in, in responding 
to your to your last comment. I think we're in candid territory. We're in candid, right? candid mode now. So all right, so let's let's go. Uh, there's a degree of hypocrisy in this uh, agenda uh, with respect to uh, to and let me be clear. Uh, what 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 your audience is going to hear me say today is not to imply or infer that every black person on the planet feels this way. So please understand my comments in context uh, so so your audience can file what I'm saying under the category, you know, if the shoe fits, wear it. If it doesn't fit, then don't wear it. Uh, so I'm not speaking in broad general terms here. There is a, there is a large portion of the... Uh, of, of, of black Americans who who feel this way, then there are those who do not. Uh, there are some uh, to whom these labels don't mean a thing. Uh, they're, they're like myself. They, they couldn't care less about these labels. But there is a segment of the black American uh, demographic that does care about these labels. And it is to that group that I'm speaking uh, today. Uh, so if this doesn't apply to you, please don't be offended. I don't mean to infer or imply that. However, to those to whom it does apply, there is a degree of hypocrisy in that uh, using the right quote-unquote label as a means of demonstrating respect to themselves from white people. So they want res black people want respect from non-black people in the sense that they should be referred to as African-American or black when there are blacks within the black demographic who don't respect themselves. Specifically, if you look at the black-on-black -black crime rate and more specifically the black-on-black -black murder rate, especially in a city like Chicago, being referred to as African-American hasn't impacted fewer blacks being murdered, they're still being murdered in Chicago at record numbers. So is, I'm, I'm reminded of the adage, you know, you need to clean your own house, you know, before you mm -hmm. refer to how dirty somebody else's house is. Well, we're not respecting ourselves. We're murdering each other. We're blowing each other away. We're, we're selling drugs to each other. We're pimping each other on the street corners. And yet we want to be concerned that some white person doesn't refer to me by the right label? So respect is not derived from a name. I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but it's like the Confederate flag. If you remove the Confederate flag, the idea, it seemed like the idea was that that's going to be a blow to racism as though racism was going to go away, as though racism was tied to that flag. Right. Racism is actually in the heart. So if you change the name, on one level, it sounds like a, a, a game of charades because it, it doesn't create respect or if i said african-american you know it's like the kid who you know his dad told him to sit down and he, he says i'm sitting down but i'm standing up on the inside uh -huh. Uh -huh. and so all right i'll call you gay and i'll call you african-american what have we done here i mean that's we're just we're just playing games you're just playing games you haven't done a thing you haven't done a single thing listen um look again just speaking candidly here what does it matter if 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 I get you, Rick, as a white person, I get you to refer to me 
you know, by the right type of pronoun or the right type of adjective and say, well, yeah, Daryl's an African-American man. Uh, Now, you can say that to me with your mouth. But if in your heart you still think I'm a nigger, (laughs) then what have I done? I wasn't expecting that. What have I changed? (laughs) What have I accomplished? I haven't accomplished a thing. You've spoken the right words. But in your heart, you still think about me exactly what you thought before. So what have I accomplished? I've accomplished absolutely nothing. All right, so what do we need to do? Well, again, you alluded to it earlier. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Racism is a heart issue. Bigotry is a heart issue. Discrimination on any sort of superficial level is a heart issue. And anything that is a heart issue, we must go back to the Bible to deal with it. We must refer to God's word. It is a theological issue at heart. It is not a social or political issue. It is a theological issue. All right, so I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. I'm not going to use the word Negro. I'm not going to use the word colored. For whatever reason, it's just not right. But I can pick and choose between black and African-American because you really don't know anyway. It just depends on who you're talking to. It means different things. I personally, I, I, I do not mean black in a derogatory way at all, but I do struggle with the term, a struggle might be too strong, but I'm not comfortable with the term African-American because it's, devi- it's divisive. It separates you from me in a way that just doesn't seem to be healthy. I mean, I do not want to be known as a, a white American or a European-American. I, I, I want to be known as an American. This is the kind, and, we, and we all live in the same country, so Indeed. we're unified. And then when we're in the body of Christ, I do like your starting point. Your starting point is always the image of God. Indeed. And so we, we are, and, and I, I love that because there is neither black nor white. All right, all right. I, I think I'm good with that. How can your voice be best positioned in our, what's the best way to communicate this? How do you speak into this? I mean, you have two cultures that are essentially at war with each other. And a lot of it is centered around name calling. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are we gonna? How are we gonna identify ourselves? It does. It, it is divisive. So how do you how do you speak into that? I think the only uh, the only approach, Rick, to speaking into that is again through a theological uh, paradigm. Um, you know, when you consider how offended we all get or can get by someone not using the right terms. I mean, at the root of that, again, is is a, a, an unappreciation for what it means to have been created in the image of God. Um, it really uh, is kind of uh, humorous to me, to be honest with you, that someone would either on the one hand boast in their race or their ethnicity or their nationality and then, on the other hand, be offended when someone doesn't properly refer to them by the correct term in referencing their race, their ethnicity, or their nationality. It's humorous that anyone would get either offended or boast or, or, or boastful when neither of us, none of us, had anything to do with our existing in the first place. I come from a, well, I spend most of my time talking about, talking about sanctification issues, 
as I'm listening to you talk, to me it seems obvious how the self-esteem movement of the past 50 years is so much a part of this conversation. I have not made, I've never made that connection in my life until just mm-hmm. now because the self-esteem culture says you must, you, you, turn it, you turn the word around, self-esteem. You must esteem self. Mm-hmm. In order for me to be what I need to be or to feel the way that I need to feel or to think rightly about myself, I I must be esteemed, which is basically what the self-esteem culture teaches. Mm -hmm. The Bible teaches a whole different worldview. We Mm -hmm. esteem others more than ourselves, Mm -hmm. Philippians 2. We love God and others more than anything else, Matthew 22. But the self-esteem model says that I must be appreciated, I must be respected, I must be approved, and if that doesn't happen, you know, then I'm going to be psychologically damaged. Uh, it's wrong to do that. Mm-hmm. So therefore, each of us, we have to latch on to the thing that makes us feel important or esteemed. Mm-hmm. And so the black culture, by and large, has latched on to this, this mm-hmm. identification thing. When what the Bible is teaching us in Romans 3, there is none righteous, no, mm-hmm. not one. There mm-hmm. is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. We have all become worthless. Therefore, God is calling us to reach out to somebody else who is worthy, who Mm -hmm. is Jesus Christ, and we find our identity in Christ Mm -hmm. rather than finding our identity in whatever that thing is that we want to select. You know, white people aren't fixated on their color per se, but they would want to find their identity in their reputation, in the money that they have, the possessions that they have, but it's the same thing. Same thing. It's the same exact thing. same thing. It's finding our identity in anything other than Christ. So the solution. So in so my original point is the self esteem movement mm-hmm. is tied to this whole idea. They actually work hand in hand. Mm-hmm. They feed each other. Uh, I can't feel well about myself if you don't appreciate me the way that I want to be appreciated. Right. The Bible says that we should, or, or teaches that we should respect each other because we were made in the image of God, mm-hmm. which is James 3, verses 9 and 10, where it says, you know, I, I, on one side we bless God with our mouths and the other side with our tongues, and the other side we curse man. Mm-hmm. These things ought not to be because we're made in the similitude or made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. All right, that makes sense to me. So the dialogue should begin, it should be on identity. Yes. Right. Right. But the identities should not be culturally related, pigmentation related. Worldly, uh, temporal, none of that. Whatever it may be. So we still have the respect honoring thing. So you're familiar with the Washington Redskins thing. Yeah. So what they're wanting to do is to change the name because so many people are hurt or offended by Obama that every time you mention the word Washington, they are embarrassed, so they want to change the name from Washington to something else. Is yes. that how you understand That's how I understand it, exactly. <laughs> that is exactly how I understand it. And so they want to call the Redskins, you know, the Baltimore Redskins, because right. Washington has become such an embarrassment. As you can tell, this interview went on. We actually talked for 90 minutes. 
Daryl lived at that time in Atlanta, Georgia, and he and his lovely wife came up to stay overnight with us. And I wanted to pick his brain about racial issues. I wanted to talk personally and candidly with him, and he was kind enough to do that with me, as you have just heard. But because it went on for 90 minutes, I decided to chop this podcast up into three parts. And so what I have are three equal 30-minute podcast, and you're welcome to listen to the other two segments of this one interview. You can go to the article here on our website, rickthomas.net. The title of the article is, A White Guy and a Black Guy Talk About Racial Issues. Now, what you'll find here are those three 30-minute segments. I would encourage you uh, to listen to them because it will be beneficial. Uh, Daryl has uh, talked quite extensively about this issue of race, and he is well known within the evangelical culture. And so I would encourage you to listen to these three 30 minute podcasts from my one 90 minute interview with him. I also want you to follow Daryl. I have some links here inside this article. One is his uh, Twitter account. Daryl has a very active presence on Twitter as he is sharing information every day. And so you can have this link here and then you can follow him on Twitter if you have a Twitter account. And then I have his website, his blog here called Just Thinking for Myself. If you don't know how to get out there, you can click the link here and it will take you directly to Daryl's site. And then shortly after doing this interview, Daryl started podcasting. And he has done several podcasts now, and you can listen to his podcast where podcasts are, iTunes and other places. The title of the podcast is Just Thinking Podcast. And so you can link, I have it linked here, and it'll get you to where you need to go. And if you have any questions about what we talked about, or maybe you want to talk about something else, if that's true for you, then what I want you to do is go to our website, rickthomas.net. Get your free username and password, log in, make sure you're logged in, and we'll be glad to talk with you. I hope you listen to the other two or the rest of the interview with Daryl.